Utah football has released their first official depth chart leading up to the big game in Gainesville. But what were the biggest surprises of it? We're talking about it right now on Locked on Utes. You are Locked on Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. My name is JT Wistersell, and thank you for making Locked On Utes your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms. I worked inside the University of Utah Athletic Department for three years, and now I'm excited with football season coming around to be bringing you guys the daily Utah football coverage with Locked On Utes. And on today's show, we're going to be reacting to the depth chart post-fall camp that was posted by Utah football, going over all the biggest surprises and shocks. And who better to have on than to go over all that than the former host of this podcast, and Ute Zone contributor Brian Brown. Brian, thank you for joining us today. Well, I got to be honest, JT, the better guest would be Kyle Whittingham because (laughs) he was apparently very talkative today at his press conference and really didn't even want to leave the media, which is, I love 2022 Kyle Whittingham. Just give me more of that flowing locks, talking to the media, having a great time. This is the Kyle Whittingham that we've all dreamed of. It was the first time for everything, right? Like you said, <laughs> yeah. loving the media, like you, you never know what you're in for. So it was great to hear him talk with 20 minutes, open up with, and there's a lot to talk about. So let's get into it right now. The Utah football released their official depth chart, and there's a lot of takeaways you could have from it. But personally, mine goes to the offensive line finally being solidified. We knew Braden Daniels was going to be at left tackle, but a lot of the other positions there was kind of some debate about at one point or another during some stage of fall camp, but it is official. It's Keaton Bills, it's Paul Miley, it's Satawa Laumea, and then it's Jaron Kump, which is the group I thought it was going to be just based on the experience from last year. I personally feel like it's the right group to roll with. That's a group of guys who all has four starts at least amongst them. And when you're talking about a guy in Paul Miley, he's the one who has the four. Everyone else has even more than that. I just think Paul's in for a phenomenal year. And this Utah team, when they had two of their most productive rushing games last year versus Stanford versus UCLA, it came with Paul Miley at center as well. So I think this was the right five for Utah to go with. Yeah, without a doubt. I think what you're looking for and what the fans are all looking for is a fast start with this game, right? Like everybody wants to get into it and, and, and really demonstrate and set the tone for the season. I think you're seeing with the Kurt Curb Streets and, and everybody else in the national media, you know, Danny Cannell was raving about Utah on, on Bill Riley's show the other day. All these national types are taking a look at Utah, and, and I thought Kirk Herbstreit summed it up perfectly. People don't understand how tough this Utah team is, but it's you look at the people who, who really do in-depth work on college football, and all you have to do is go search uh, Spencer Hall's feed for Utah at, at EDSBS. Every day should be Saturday. Spencer Hall, beard, glasses. Yeah. If you're listening to Locked on Utes, you've heard me talk about Spencer Hall. Let's yeah. just be honest. So, um if you go search Spencer Hall and Utah, there will be a million like comments of how tough Utah is. Like Utah is like fighting a kimono dragon. You and somebody's gonna correct it because I guarantee you I butchered the pronunciation of that. It's kimono. That's how yeah, you say it. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I said Howitzer the other day, and, oh. and it was like it's Howitzer, and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm from Utah, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the window seal is, but I'm from Layton, so we're gonna go hang out by the creek and drink some pop. 
But the point being that Utah's brand has been this for a long time. And there have been multiple seasons. We were talking about it a little bit before the podcast. Just, you know, you've been here since 2019. So you've kind of caught like the fun end of things. Yeah. But before that, like 2016, 2017, 2018, yeah, they had all these very tough teams that just couldn't quite get over the edge and over the hump. Now they're to that point, right, where they have the talent, they have the depth, they have the identity on both sides of the ball. And so this game really sets the tone, and this is a long-winded explanation for why they picked the starting five of the O-line, but this game sets the tone for this season. And and nationally, for them to hit their goals, they have to do that, right? You have to come out and perform well against Florida. And so you have to go with a group that's the most experienced. You know, you may have more upside with a Falcon Kamatule, right? A guy his size, the way he moves his feet, just beautiful, right? But Jaron Kump has the experience. Jaron Kump has, you know, the investment, the work ethic. Jaron Kump has the relationship with those guys up front. He's he's worked with Satawa. He's worked with Braden. He's worked with Paul. He Well, Paul, not as much, but, you know, he's been there with all those guys. And, and so that's the smarter move. You know, Paul is the more experienced player. And what he gives up in size or strength is going to be met up for with his leadership abilities, you know, his ability to get them where they need to be. And we saw that last year. And so this really is the group that you need to go with to start things off strong without a doubt. And it's so great that you have two guys in Falcon, like you mentioned, and then Michael Mokafisi as well, who if you have injuries anywhere along the offensive line, you can insert one of those guys. You feel really good about them, and you're good to go from there. So that we know this Utah offensive line has depth as well. It's great to hear the five have been solidified. Also great to hear that this group has actually kind of been concealed for us for a while, how long they've actually been the starting five. Because Coach Whittingham mentioned this group has gotten more work in than the five starters did last year because they were named later in fall camp. So it's great that this group has been able to get more of that work, more of that consistency together because it's going to be really loud in Gainesville. So your communication has to be on point when you're in an environment like that. There's lots of things that are going to have to do. They're going to go on silent count a lot. We know even in the huddle, it's going to be loud and hard to hear each other. So good opportunity for these guys to come in early and get that experience. Another thing, position that's interesting that we got a little bit more clarification on is who the returners are going to be for this Utah football team. The first one being punt return, Devon Vale. I think it makes a lot of sense because Coach Whittingham mentioned what's the most important thing in punt return, making sure you catch the ball. We also expect Devon to be the top receiver on this team. The coaches have even alluded to and mentioned he will be. So it makes sense that they trust the guy with the best hands to be their punt returner and also a guy who's explosive as well. I think he's going to provide something good. Devon is not going to be Britton Covey this season, but I do think he's going to have a couple nice returns as well. And at least one he'll take to the house. And the other returner i got to mention is Mike uh, Mackay Bernard getting the start at kick return as well. I mean, one of the 70 freakiest players in college football, uh, Bruce Feldman meant, brought up on his list. We know what he can do. Still started at – still play, played significant snaps, I should say, at two positions in the Rose Bowl. You don't do that if you're not a great athlete. Athlete Bernard is lights out. I think he's going to do a really good job at kickoff return. And I do think – I think we'll see at least two kickoff return touchdowns this year. That's a lot, but that's how much faith I have in Mackay. And I think we'll see at least one from De- Devon. Yeah, uh, Makai, mm, interesting, because I think this is this is always the qualifier with, with kickoffs and punts is, is how good are the guys in front of them, right? How mm-hmm. good is that return team? And, cool. uh, you know, I think for fans who haven't watched it yet, go watch the, the tape of Britton Covey um, 
where he does an interview with Tom Hackett and they go through like the breakdowns of how he's setting up the returns. There's a real art form to it. And so, um, you know, a lot of it is Covey. And, 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 you know, I think that's the part that people internalize when they think about replacing a punt return. I think what you mentioned about Devon is, is spot on, you know, it, it, it's going to come down to him securing the ball and just making sure that they get the ball into Cam Rising's hands. Cause here's the thing. If you're Devon Vailate, do you want to run for a punt return touchdown or do you want to catch a TD? Very true. Yeah, he definitely wants. I think he wants to catch a TD. <laughs> yeah, and and Makai Bernard, it doesn't matter anyways, right? Like yeah. he just wants touchdowns. So if he can get a couple kick returns, that'll be great. <clears throat> I think this team has a lot of depth and experience returning on the special teams. They've got some special teams leaders. What will be fascinating to me is will these guys invest in special teams the way that Britton Covey did? You know, like like there are assistants on the sideline that Britton would go talk to. Um, you know, that were special teams assistants or, or, or specialized in the special teams that he would go talk to after every play to, to try and gauge things. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, but I think the bigger thing is just you look at how many options they had, you know what I mean? And, and there's a lot of explosive options there. So that's really if Devon Bailey's the guy that they're most comfortable with, that's a good thing. Right, because it means he's that secure and he's that good at securing the catch, and I also think that he can surprise some people. One hundred percent, and it's going to be fun to see those guys get the opportunity to surprise people. One thing that was surprising about this Utah depth chart was just how many running backs were listed mm-hmm. as starters or another starter as well. And we're going to talk about what it means that there was four guys listed as starters on that depth chart in just a second. But first, I want to tell you guys about Bet Online. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, and all the other Major League sports as well. And of course, college football. Guys, week zero, how much fun was it to have football back? And this week, the slate is absolutely electric, so make sure you guys get in on the action. Head over to BetOnline. Make sure you look at the Utes. See if you like their odds versus the Gators, as well as all the other matchups going on across college football. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. So getting back into about these running backs, that was kind of the surprise, right? There was four guys listed as starters, but Coach Whittingham, when asked about it, said, look, Tavion is still the guy. But you're going to see all these guys at different points of the season. I think that makes a lot of sense because they all add something really unique. We know Tavion is the best strictly runner of the football in terms of his vision, his power, and the strength he runs with. He's a phenomenal back, and he's going to be the guy for Utah for most of the year. But you also get a guy in Makai Bernard who's going to be your third down back in a lot of situations this year. And still a guy, I think, in third and short when you're kind of – trying to mix it up a little bit or not really tip your hand to what you're trying to do. Guy that still feel comfortable letting run the ball as well. Jalen Glover, I think he's a guy who can do almost all of it. I think he can be really good out of the backfield as well as in between the tackles. And then however Chris Curry factors into that, I don't know. But the fact that he was still mentioned in there proves his coaching staff has the trust in him. And if it's a fourth and one and Utah's got to have it, I wouldn't be surprised to see Curry in there just because he very well may be the strongest guys out of these four backs. You make a really good point about Chris Curry. The other thing that's great about Curry is his low center of gravity, right? Where Tavion is this big, tall back. He sometimes has a hard time getting his pad level down. Part of what led to the early fumbling issues that that, that plagued him. 
and you know Utah adapted and and started to do a lot more crease opening style run plays right to, to, to where they would open up a crease on the play side to allow Tavion to run to his strengths right he is best when he's in the open field downfield hunting for uh, linebackers and, and and cornerbacks right but I think the the real interesting part about this is that you've got a coach in Andy Ludwig who has coached a variety of running backs right throughout his tenure you know everyone from Matt Asiata and Darrell Mack uh, in his early years at Utah, to Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, and, and I'm trying to remember who the the backs at Vanderbilt were, but even Osakar to Samuels, who the quarterback, you know, at the time there, was a great runner, and and they were able to come up with a lot of unique concepts, and so it wouldn't surprise me to see Chris Curry on on third and short or, or short yardage situations. It wouldn't surprise me to see Jaquindon Jackson in some of those situations. Mm, very right? true. Um, and and it wouldn't surprise me to see a variety of backs on the backfield or on the field at the same time. Tavion, Makai, all able to line up in the slot. Same with Chris Curry. The one that's going to be most important to me is which back are they going to go with for protection purposes? Who's going to be the guy that's going to be in there picking up the blitzes, making sure that they get protections right and all that kind of stuff. You mentioned you know, in the swamp early on, there's going to be a lot of noise. And so whoever it is is going to have to know that assignment well. And so I'll be very curious to see who they rely on the most in pass protection. And that was something they did. Coach Whittingham did talk about with Chris Curry as well. So that could be a situation where third and longs, this Utah team, we know they feel better about their receivers. So maybe it is like, hey, let's leave a Vextra guy in to protect. And I think that very well could be Chris Curry on some of those third and longs. But it would be kind of interesting to see if you do that because at least up to this point, Curry hasn't been known as much as a receiving back. So you would then be kind of letting them know every time Curry comes in, okay, you know they're going to leave basically six guys in for sure to protect if you include Curry as well. So it'll be interesting to see how all that works out. Love that you mentioned Jaquindon Jackson because that's a perfect segue into quarterback two, the biggest enigma of fall camp and just of the offseason, ever since spring ball really, has been who's going to be quarterback two. It was Jaquindon Jackson for a lot of last year, then Bryson Barnes took it. Who's the pig farmer that came into the game in the Rose Bowl? Well, it's the guy who's now permanently Utah's quarterback, too, at least at the moment. So Coach Witt said that why they went with Bryson, he had better command of the offense. He made fewer mistakes. He just feels like he's the best guy in an emergency situation based on the full body of work in spring and fall. He said, we feel like Bryson is our guy, and that makes a lot of sense. I think when you look at which quarterback is more similar to Cam, I feel like that is Bryson in terms of still being mobile but not and insanely great athlete like I would say Jaquindon is a phenomenal athlete he's not gonna you're not gonna run the ball the same as Jaquindon is an incredible runner of the football Bryson is not he's a solid runner of the football and I think Bryson at this point you heard about just made fewer mistakes that also points to Bryson has been the more accurate quarterback during spring camp spring ball and then fall camp as well so I thought it was going to be Jaquindon Jackson. I really did. I still think there's a chance we see him in some packages. And a huge congrats to him as well for being awarded the scholarship. Aaron Jordan and Ty, Ty, or excuse me, Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan as well. Huge honor for him as well. But makes a lot of sense that they're going with Bryson. It does. Um, and I think you made a good point in terms of the similarities. Bryson is an excellent decision maker. And you hear Andy Ludwig talk about repetitive accuracy a lot. And People think in terms of like, oh, that means that he's throwing the ball to the right spot every single time. And really what it means is they, they want him to make the right decision with the ball every single time, right? And I think Bryson has proven to be that point. I think the bigger story out of this 
is Nate Johnson. And I mm-hmm. think what that means is that this, you know, Nate Johnson came in very, very highly touted recruit and elite 11 uh, attendee. Not, I, I believe he was a finalist. I, I mm-hmm. get this mixed up and, and apologize to everyone. I, Oh, you know what else I need to, I screwed up. It wasn't uh, Jonathan Taylor. It was Melvin Gordon, James White, or yeah, James White and mm-hmm. Corey Clement that were the yes. three running backs. Yep, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All three of which who went to the NFL. And also when he was at San Diego State, Ronnie Hillman was a running back who also went on the NFL. So again, mm-hmm. Ludwig running backs, they're going to be fine. Ludwig quarterbacks, they're going to be fine too. And I think really what's happened is Nate Johnson has come in and proven to be uh, very adaptable. Uh, very moldable and I think that was the big thing with Nate is you know they knew he was a raw prospect but the athleticism was there and I think they've seen him grow and mature in front of them you know in a very short amount of time and that's been very impressive to them and so I think that makes it a lot easier to say okay if we're building for the future and we're building for the season we need Jaquin and Jackson to be the very best possible version of himself and so if he is not cutting it, we can't give him this job. He has to earn it. And if we need more consistency from him, then we have to name the more consistent player as, as QB2. And, and I also think that there's you know, some roster management stuff where this may allow them to get Bryson Barnes a scholarship, which you know, that's been a big issue, right? And, and you mentioned, you know, I think JJ's very deserving of the Aaron Lowe, Ty Jordan uh, Memorial Scholarship and everything like that. You know, that could be something where it, it allows them to get everybody under the umbrella and taken care of. Um, but the hard part about it is, is <clears throat> it doesn't mean that J.J. didn't do a great job. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that, you know, as Cam Beck says, J-Train, it yeah. doesn't mean that J-Train isn't going to be the starter someday. What it mm-hmm. means is that they are in the business of developing their quarterbacks to be the very best that they can. And you've seen it in, in the past with Whittingham where he's made tough decisions with their quarterbacks, and that even applies to the backups. And and you either respond to the challenge and, and get better and improve, or you, you know, you shrink and, and step away and, and you'll leave the program and, and everybody will wish you good luck and, and they'll kind of forget about you. Like mm-hmm. that one dude that went somewhere. Yeah, what was his name? I can't remember. Slips <laughs> my mind. We don't oh, talk about Bruno. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is amazing what a, what a difference a year can make when it comes to Bruno in this case, as everyone knows who we are mentioning, of course. And, yeah, you make such a good point about the development as well. I just think Nate, what Jaquindon Nate could still grow in new is something that's going to be really fun to behold and witness. And it's a great story for Bryson as well, being a walk-on on this team, getting the opportunity and working hard. And do you still think we'll see some Jaquindon packages? Because I don't think we're going to see any in Gainesville, I'll say that. But I definitely feel like dur- ver- during a game like versus Southern Utah next week, I really think we could see some of that, especially in the second half. Oh, I, I think we'll see a lot of Jaquindon in the second half against Southern Utah. I think really what we're going to see is is we're going to see, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even Cam Rising only gets a quarter you know, in, 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 in some of this, it, it may be – Maybe he even sits out, right? Like, like he that is that be, important. Really? Yeah. Well, would, I mean, the hard part about it is, yeah, because he's a, he's going to be a Heisman candidate, right? So you yeah. kind of have to get him in there. So, so I'm going to back off that statement, because um, you got to get him his 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 get him his his bag, 
Yeah, nice, like, three touchdowns in. And, and yeah, you know, 303 <laughs> TDs. You know, yeah. We'll do that. Nice but play. I think you will see a lot of J.J. I do think that there's a possibility that they have something in store for Florida, depending on the situation where they could bring him in, right? I think it makes a lot of sense that this is a game that you – it's not a must-win for the season, but it's a yeah. must-win for – trajectory right and, and if you have an opportunity to take a shot and take a gamble or you know you feel like there's a situation where where the florida defense is showing you enough during the course of the game you know i thought it was interesting there was a reporter that asked if utah would, would make up two game plans and i kind of chuckle about that because I, listen i'm not trying to compare high school and college at all but i coached in in high school it was hard enough to get our guys to buy into one game plan. 100%. I can't imagine the confusion that would come from two. But I think what you build into a pack, you know, to every game plan, especially one where you've been planning for the better part of nine months, is options and, and escapes and, and everything like that. So if then situations, you know, if we're up by three touchdowns, do we then do we do this, you know? Um, for all my coding homies out there, you'll get that real strong. You know, there's a lot of that that happens in coaching. Um, not that I'm a coder, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the evaluation process. And so I think you're spot on, you are going to see a lot of Jaquindon and and it's, he has tools. Why not use him? And they've proven that they can do that in the past with a guy like Jason Shelley. Yeah, very, very true. That was a great weapon to have that he could come in and utilize and do those things. And it would be crazy if, you know, he spent the whole day pretty much saying like, hey, Jaquindon is a great player, can do a lot of things, but we are going to go with Bryson. So still Jaquindon lost the battle. So you're just thinking, oh, you won't see him. And then boom, Coach Whittingham surprises everyone and sticks him out there in that situation in the big game like that would be very funny and very Coach Whittingham-like as well to kind of mislead us being the media, which will be Interesting to see how he plays that. Brian, I want to. we're going to continue with talking about this depth chart breakdown, but something you just brought up I think is very interesting. We had Josh Newman on the pod yesterday, and he talked all about how big this game is for the Pac-12. And this is not a must-win game for Utah. Utah can still make the college football playoff if they lose the very first game and run the table from there. A one-loss conference champion is not going to miss the playoff more than likely. But I think what's interesting you just talked about is, especially in terms of gaining respect – doesn't this feel like it is a must-win for the Pac-12, for Utah? Well, yeah, I do think so in a lot of respects because mm-hmm. if you look at last year, that trend of Oregon beating Ohio State basically carried the conference yes. through most of the season, essentially up until the point where Utah knocked Oregon in the dirt and yep. you know the Twice. Ducks never found their way out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think it is a must-win. Um, there's just not really – well, I, I guess if, if Oregon goes to Georgia and does the unthinkable oh – that sets things up, right? Mm-hmm. So, so <clears throat> I think you can always get an excuse for going on the road, going multiple time zones, yes. um, especially in hostile environments in the SEC. But, you know, and then we've seen in the past the committee will allow teams to grow throughout the season. That would be the only loss that Utah could sustain. And I think the bigger thing is it's just there's a lot of hope from the conference and I think from college football as a whole that Utah will step to the plate and, and kind of save everybody from this doldrum of there's only two conferences that matter because you and I like have grown up in different parts of the world completely, yeah. but we understand how regional, how important the regional aspect of college football is. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. it's, you know, I think it's interesting um, because it's like you said, it doesn't mean the season's over, but like it could really be a hammer in the coffin for, or a nail in the coffin for the Pac-12. 
For sure, because you people will look and be like, well, same old Pac-12, not on our level. Can't even beat a middle-of-the-road SEC team because we have no idea. Let's say Florida has a great performance week one against Utah. They could go on and lose six games in the SEC this season. Like, it's just, it's, it is tough to play in that conference, obviously. So we don't know. And maybe they'll be better than that. It's just, you don't know, but it's a bad look for the conference if your best team can't go in and beat a middle-of-the-road. It will lead to a lot of that disrespect we have talked about. So something interesting just to keep in mind. But going back to the depth chart, Brian, the last big thing I thought was really interesting was that Jordan Noyes was named not just the starting kicker, but also going to get the start on kickoffs. When you talk about Noyes, this is a guy who saw action in 13 games last year, so 69 kickoffs. So it wasn't surprising to see him get the kickoff job. But he was a guy who went – he did the PATs, 21 for 21, so a lot of PATs. But – only two of four on field goal attempts. And then it's evident to me that him versus Jaden Redding, Jordan Noyes really got in the just not maybe the workout room because we know kickers don't do that as much. Kickers work out, but it's just a different kind of improvement. But really locked himself in, really worked on his mechanics, worked on his technique, committed himself and got better. And just sounds like he really improved his game, was the more accurate kicker and won the job because of it. Yeah, and that's really what you want is you want that competition going. I think the big advantage is that noise uh, gives you a big leg. He's also a guy that's kind of converting to it. So maybe we should have seen this coming, right, with with Jaden Redding having been, you know, a very – I don't want to say like he – have to be careful how I phrase this, right? Like, like it's not so much like sometimes you don't win a job, you just didn't lose it, right? That's true. Very and, true. And I think, you know, Redding was always just – reliable to an extent right but this is a team that needs weapons at every position in every situation and so that development from from noise is is a very positive um situation for utah and i think the bigger thing about it is that you need to have that ability to kick a 55 yard field goal at, at some point in time now i'm not predicting that utah is going to be kicking a lot of those but if you need it, you want to have it there. And and so, again, as we talk about, like, everything is setting up for them to, to accomplish the goals that they want to accomplish. And this team has stated that they have – that they're hungry for more than just getting back to the Rose Bowl, right? And so if that's what you really want to accomplish, then you need to get the weapon in place and get him developed. So give him a chance early on, see how he fares under the pressure. Like, that's the great thing about this, like, this Florida game is – on one hand, it is so critical for the conference and, and, and for the branding and, and, and for the narrative and everything like that. On the other hand, it's a good chance for Utah to get a lot of these guys that maybe, you know, Lander Barton, you know, we talked about Falcon Kamatule never played in the game, right? So maybe mm-hmm. you can get them some experience, still get a win and get home and, and, and really kind of grow from there. 100%. And I, I think we both feel this way about Utah's offense. They're going to be very strong this year. They're going to finish most of their drives. They're going to move the ball extremely well. I think the biggest thing is the couple times you can't, and more importantly, those two-minute drills, whether it's at the end of the half or the end of the game, can you get yourself in field goal range and every yard matters in that instance so that you can make those big kicks? And that was something we just, I think a lot of Utah fans didn't feel great about last year because of, we've had so many questions about the special teams. So great opportunity for Jordan Noyes to really solidify that. Brian, those were really my biggest takeaways looking at the release depth chart. Did you have any that we didn't talk about yet? Uh, you know, there's a few things that, that kind of stood out to me a little bit. Um, the one is that, and, and this is such a, a nitpicky thing um, in, in, in my world, uh, if you look and go through the offense, there, there's quite a uh, there's a Y tight end, there's a U tight end, there's a fullback, there's an X, a Z, and an R. I think that's too many players. 
<laughs> so like like you kind of have to read in a little bit to to that utah is going to be multi-dimensional in terms of how they start the game um i think being named a starter for utah fans is a bigger deal than it is for guys in, within the program sure. because it's the old jerry sloanism it's not about who starts but who finishes right and, and who mm-hmm. plays the majority of the game you're always going to try and set matchups up early on. And so there are going to be some games where you do go four wide or, or bombers or something like that, just trying to trying to be different. Um, and, and, and in those games, you know, I think that's, that's when you kind of hope to see uh, maybe a, a Jalen Dixon or, or a money parks or something like that, maybe break out early on and, and kind of disrupt some narratives. Um, the other thing too, that I thought was interesting was Tanoa Tongiai who, you know, again, we talk about things that you hear but don't talk about. And we kind of heard that he was working across different positions, that he solidified that right guard spot. I think there's a lot of interest in that for me. One, um, is that because they're confident in him at the right guard? Uh, is it because they're confident in Johnny Maia at the center position? You know, is it because they feel like it's a better fit for him to start at guard, get rips, so that he can eventually be a tackle? Um, a lot of kind of interesting and intrigue you know i think the big deal is is this is going to be Braden daniels last year and so you've yes. got to get another tackle ready um and so i think you want to know if it's if it's going to be him or or uh you know uh uh Kump or zero way williams or or whoever it is that steps into that left tackle role yeah and we could do an entire hour on every position of the depth chart there's so many interesting things that are there are to break down and it was once again great just to hear how much coach Whittingham elaborated on each of these positions today because it wasn't a very good and top uh good mood maybe excited to get a little bit of that florida sunshine until he gets off the plane and gets to see and gets to experience more of that humidity but that's yeah, apparently not uh, that, whole. that murder humidity that's just going to kill everybody yeah. and and destroy everything Exactly. Yeah, that's what it's been built up to be at this point. <laughs> it's absolutely wild. So I think was just excited to go to Orlando and try and get to Mickey ears. That's that's, that's got to be it. You know, he got Disneyland, but Disney World to get more more theme parks there. So I think that's got to be it, Brian. <laughs> Either that or some butter beer at like Hollywood or uh, Universal Studios, right? Yes, Universal. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Last thing I want to talk about before we jump off here is. Coach Whittingham talked was asked about how do you go about preparing for a team that has a new head coach? So obviously you're going to bring in new schemes and then, but returning players as well. And he said, you watch kind of 50, 50 in terms of that film, you watch what coach Billy Napier and his staff did at the previous school. And then you also take into effect what the players you're going up against those matchups and their abilities and learning from them. And I think it's really important that they're so invested in both of them. And obviously there's going to be some new things that, Florida decides to do because of the personnel they have that coach Napier who had his background kind of as an offensive staff, who's the offensive coordinator for Arizona state not long ago. So had the background there on the offensive side might want to utilize these guys in new ways and changes offense up from Louisiana. But I think the biggest thing is coming in here is I love that the coaches have been watching both sides of the ball in turn and, also both sides of film in terms of weighing each option because each one can hold so much value. It can. And I think there's a variety of things that you're hunting down, you know, when it comes to uh, these, these situations, you know, one of those is that you're looking to see what kind of advantage you can get from the coaches and and what tendencies they have to go with schematically. Right. 
Um, there's not a lot of variance with schemes and, and, and things like that. Now, there's styles and formats and, and little tweaks here and there that you're going to want to look for. So coaching-wise, you're going to want to look for a lot of that kind of stuff to see what you can pick up on. If you're a player, you want to know who you're going up against. What are their tendencies? You know, and, and you know, where there's some transfers that came with Billy Napier from uh, Louisiana, that's a big deal as well. So you want to keep all that stuff in front of you. Um, you know, I think it's – you talk about it's a balance, but you've also had like three weeks to, to watch a lot of film. So they'll be ready in that regard. Um, and I think the, the bigger thing is just what are you not ready for, right? So, so what can you anticipate that maybe uh, isn't on film? That's really where you need to, to make up the difference. Yeah, and it's going to be awesome to see. And we know these coaches, you talked about having three weeks to watch film. These guys have been preparing even longer than that, we know, especially with how committed this Utah coaching staff is. They've no doubt been watching film since, not since the Rose Bowl ended, but I feel like definitely around the spring ball time, I'm sure they turned a couple things on just to get that itch scratched. Because Oh, it, I it, bet it, some of those guys were watching film the week after the Rose Bowl. Yeah, honestly, probably. <laughs> with that commitment and how hard they go, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. So, Brian, this is the last time you're going to be on with us before the big game. Want to get your prediction for it as well as hear about some of the things you have coming up personally with content. Yeah. Uh, you know, as always, you can check youtube.com. Uh, Steve Bartle will be on site, so he'll be handling most of that stuff um, going forward. Uh, there's always the the Discord server at, at Utah Blockcast, which is a fun little addition that we've made. And, and I can tell you, Already, fans are going crazy uh, with information and, and meetups and things like that. So if you're looking for a more community-based thing, then definitely go check out that. Um, and then uh, prediction-wise, like I've always been terrible at score predictions. Um, okay. But I think, you know, I, I tend to visualize how the game's going to go. And, and so I think what's going to happen is you're going to see – I think Utah starts out strong. Uh, I think that – you know, you're going to see this offense go out, establish the tone that they've tried to establish for such a long time. Um, I also think that you're going to see Florida bounce back and show some fight. I think it's going to be close going into halftime. Utah may be even down a little bit, um, and people will be worried. And then I think in the third quarter, you're going to see Utah be, be Utah and really wear that Gator team down. And I think by the fourth quarter, it'll be clearly in Utah's favor. I love it. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, obviously I'm going to pick Utah. I host this podcast, but <laughs> I'll give my score, personal score prediction later in the week. But Brian, always great having you on. Appreciate you stopping by. If you guys are in the market for a second listen every day, make sure you guys check out the Locked on Pac-12 podcast where host Spencer McLaughlin and other local Pac-12 experts will take you around the conference in under 30 minutes. Lots of week one previews going on there because college football is officially back and we are covering the big game down in Gainesville all week here on Locked on Utes. So we thank you for listening in to Locked on Utes.